These are the works or the doings of a great king. And how to show our appreciation in verses 1 through 5. How do we show our appreciation to a great king? Let's notice this. First of all, by giving thanks. It says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. And then by calling upon His name. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. By making known His deeds. All of these are things that we can do to show our appreciation. In Isaiah 12, verse 4, it says, In that day, praise. And then it says, Call upon His name. Jeremiah 29, 12 says, Then shall they call upon Me. Psalm 145 and 5 says, And of thy wondrous works. He speaks of the wondrous works of God. In verse 2 it says, By singing praise. Look, and talking about His work. Sing unto Him. Sing psalms unto Him. And then it says, Talk ye of all His wondrous works. Do we talk enough about all the wondrous works of God? And so we need to talk about His works. And then seeking the Lord. In verse 3 and uh, 4, it says, Glory ye in His holy name. Let the heart of them uh, rejoice that seek the Lord. Do you really want God? And then in verse 4, it continues to say, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face evermore. So three times you have the word seek. By seeking the Lord, Isaiah 55 verse 6 says, Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. The Bible says that He's nigh unto all that call upon Him. So He's near, and we need to call, and we need to seek, and then we need to seek His face evermore. We need to remember His favor, look, and remember His marvelous works in verse 5. Remember His marvelous works that He hath done. Sometimes God's people are easy to forget things that God has done. You know, we go along in life and something bad happens and we say, or we go through trials and we say, Where's God? Or, what has God done? If we just look back, we can see a lot of things He has done. And uh, sometimes we fail to recognize the things He has done. You know, when Peter was in prison, Acts chapter 12, James was the first martyr. And then Peter was put in prison at the same time. And they intended after Easter to bring him forth. And so the church prayed for him. Prayer was made without ceasing by the church. Unto God, for him it says. Specific prayer for Peter. God sent his angel and opened the prison doors and opened, took him out of the chains that was binding him. Brought him out and opened the gate. It says the gate opened of his own accord. Put a personality to that gate. Because God says, it's a, it's a him. I'm going to move him out of the way. And anyway, it says, opened of his own accord. And Peter thought he had seen a vision. He got out there and he realized that it was real. You know, it already happened. He wasn't dreaming about this. He was really free. So he went down where they were praying. And this Rhoda, wasn't it? Damsel came to the gate and she says, Peter's out there. She come back and told him, says, Peter's out there knocking on the gate. And they thought she'd gone crazy, I guess. And uh, they didn't believe her at all. And uh, finally, she persuaded them. And sure enough, it was Peter. Well, what were they praying for? Can we believe that? Do we remember what God has done? Sometimes we don't even recognize it when He has. God had answered their prayer, and she says they they told her that, that they thought she had seen a spirit. She had seen a ghost. Sure enough, Peter was out there. Sometimes God answers our prayers so de- definitely, and then we fail to recognize that He's answered them. He's answered their prayers concerning Troy. 
He's answered their prayer concerning Brother Walker's mother, concerning various ones of you that are here, Jerry back there, and various others of us, and various other things. And uh, many times He's answered our prayers. And we can give you example after example of people that the Lord has lifted up out of their situation, out of their sickness, or out of their particular trial or testing. And He will do that for all of us. We sing a song, it is no secret what God can do, what He's done for others, He'll do for you. And so we need to trust Him. Remember His marvelous works that He hath done. His wonders, that's miracles, and the judgments of His mouth. So we need to remember. In Psalm 77, verse 11, it says, I will remember the works of the Lord. Then it goes on in verses 6 through 15, it shows God's chosen people. We were shown in these verses that we just read how to show our appreciation. And now we see God's chosen people. His chosen people are identified. It says, O ye seed of Abraham, his servant. The seed of Abraham. Abraham was God's servant. Ye children of Jacob. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob. Ye children of Jacob, his chosen. His servant and his chosen. His chosen people. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. We can claim Him as our God. We need to claim Him as our God. Sometimes we feel reluctant to do that. We say, well, you know, how do I know that He's God? He wants us to make the claim. It says, as many as received Him, to them gave He power or the right or authority to be called the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. By faith, we can claim Jesus as our Savior, and that's the only way you can claim it, by faith. And faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. God has promised us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God has promised us that if we make that claim, that Christ is our Savior. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, John says, 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, is born of God. Someone says, how am I going to be born of God? How do I know I'm born of God? Do you believe personally that Jesus is the Christ and that He is your Savior? You've received Him as such? Well, then you have a right to make that claim. It says, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Verse 8 says, He hath remembered His covenant forever. God will not forget what He's done. He calls upon us to remember in verse 5. But he says, he hath remembered his covenant forever. When God makes a covenant, when God gives his word, when God makes a contract, he keeps every uh, detail of the bargain. You know, you have men that make contracts or agreements, covenants. They make a contract, and the first thing they've got in mind is how, what loophole is there that I can break this. In fact, some of them have that intention when they make it. I've dealt with people that had that intention. And I, I really felt at the time that they were, had an intention that they wanted to break the contract some way, find some reason. Well, that's nothing but being crooked, is it? When you make an agreement with someone and you come to specific, definite, verbal or written agreements, and God has given us His oath and He's given us His word, He has it not only uh, verbally, but He has it written. And so God, who gives us His covenant... By mouth and by word, surely we can depend upon it. And we have a covenant of grace in the New Testament, the new covenant. And it's stamped and sealed with a, the, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so every person can claim to 
have this agreement with God that He will save all who call upon Christ and all who trust in Christ, and that God's Word guarantees it and is sealed with the blood of His only begotten Son. I don't think you'd have a better agreement than that. I don't think you'd have a more sure agreement than that. Especially with the Almighty God who made all things and who made us and who, who gave His revelation to us, His Word to us. What more do people want? And yet you'll find people say, well, how do I know? Well, you know, if you believe God, you know He's going to keep His Word. It says, it says He hath remembered His covenant forever, the Word which He commanded to a thousand generations. Which covenant He made with Abraham? Now look, He began it with Abraham as far as His earthly people and His oath unto Isaac and confirmed the same unto Jacob for a law. Look, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to Israel for an everlasting covenant. Now, this is God's covenant with Israel. And He gave His word concerning this covenant. And He made a new covenant of grace with us in the New Testament. He has made it an everlasting covenant with Israel as far as their land is concerned. In verse 11 it says, Saying unto thee, Will I give the land of Canaan the lot of your inheritance? So He promised Israel an inheritance of old. But there's a covenant of grace that He's made as well. And He's given us the promise in the New Testament that He's going to give us an everlasting inheritance, an eternal inheritance that fadeth not away. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, I believe you begin with verse 3 where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively or a living hope, lively or living hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 5. So, he's promised that he's not only given us a living hope, it's guaranteed by Christ's resurrection, and it's the... Inheritance is an incorruptible and it's undefiled. It will not fade away, will not disappear. And it's reserved in heaven for you. And by the way, you're reserved for it because he says you are kept by the power of God through faith and salvation ready to be revealed in the last time so that he's going to keep you for the inheritance. There's a lot of folks nowadays have inheritance coming from family. Someday they may get those inheritances. And someday they may be uh, completely beat out of those inheritances. They may not live to see them. See? There's all kinds of question marks when you talk about earthly inheritance. All kinds of question marks. All kinds of uh, things that can intervene. Things that can change. Think, situations that can change. Families that can change. But with God's promise, He says, I'm not, going to, I'm not only going to keep you an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, but I'm going to keep you for it. I'm going to make sure you get it. I like that, don't you? He works on both ends of the line. He makes sure that whatever he says will, will take place. There's no doubt and worry about it. And then he says in verse 12, look at verse 12. When they were but a few men in number. He made this covenant when they were but a few men in number. Yea, very few and strangers in it. Remember, even when they went down to Egypt, they were only a few. Seventy souls. When they went from one 
nation to another, from one kingdom to another people. He suffered no man to do them wrong, yea, he reproved kings for their sakes. God took a special care of his people of old. The Bible says in Deuteronomy, I believe, in one other place, maybe in the Psalms, that he kept them as the apple of his eye. You know, I got a little uh, irritation in my eye this morning. Just, you know, you rub your eye or something like that. And you start blinging and say, oh, it's like a grain of sand or something. And it disappeared in a moment's time. But I thought of that scripture. I thought it's a very tender part, isn't it? The, the very, you get a little grit or a little sand or anything in your eye. And it starts hurting. starts giving you uh, problems. But God says He keeps us as the apple of His eye. He protects us. What does He give us around our eye to protect us? He gives us, he gives us a door that will close right, your eyelid. And then when it's open, He gives you your eyelashes and He gives you tear ducts. To, he gives you the tears to wash it out. Wash out all the, the things that cause it problems. Someone says, well, when I cry, it's bad. Maybe it be good. Maybe you're irrigating something there that needs to be washed out a little bit. Right? So, you know, all of these things, God has a plan for them, doesn't He? And yet, we don't understand just what He has done for us. He, he suffered no man to do them wrong, yea, He reproved kings for their sakes. Look in verse uh, 15, saying, Touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. God has a special care about His people. His his prophets of old and those that were especially anointed by Him for special purposes. But in the New Testament, every believer has a special anointing from God. The Bible says He's made us a kingdom of priests. Look in the book of 1 Peter. We'll come back to this in a moment. Look in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. 1 Peter, chapter 2. Let's begin reading with verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. 1 Peter 2, verse 1. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word. By the way, this is a good diet, isn't it? In the first verse, it tells you what you're not to eat. In the second verse, it tells you what you are to eat. You lay aside all malice and guile. Don't feed upon that and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. Lay aside all that. Put it away. Shove it aside. You don't need that. Push it back. But it says, as newborn babes, desire the sincere. The word sincere means unadulterated. Milk of the Word. It's pure. That you may grow thereby. The Word of God is milk and meat. If so be that you have, ta- that if so be you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming is unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Now look, verse 5. This is what I want to get to. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We are a spiritual house and we're a holy priesthood. The people, believers. Someone says, well, who you, who you think that's talking about? It's talking about every believer. Every true believer in Christ is a member of that holy priesthood. Now, we're going down and prove it. It says, Wherefore, also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, that's Christ, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. That means he'll not be confused. He'll not make haste. He'll not have to run away to someone else. He shall not be ashamed, it's said in other places. 
Then it says, Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. Who's it talking to? You which believe. You see that? Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which uh, the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye, ye who? Believers. Ye believers, verse uh, 7. But ye, what are you? Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises. And if you have a marginal reference, it says virtues, praises, and not only thanks, but the virtues of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We go on and on. And it shows, the next verse shows it's the calling of the Gentiles that's in view. And Peter is quoting from the Old Testament from the book of uh, Hosea, I believe it is. Chapter 1, verse 9. And we find that he's referring to the conversion of the Gentiles as well as Israel of old was implicated in that passage of Scripture. But so what we see here is that unto you therefore that believe he is precious, and unto you ye are a what? holy nation, a, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. So every believer is God's anointed. Back to our Psalm 105 verse 15 saying, Touch not mine, mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. Now, Christ was the anointed. The Messiah is, means anointed, or the promised one. The Bible says that He hath anointed Him or, or with the oil of gladness above I, thy fellows, or His fellows. You read in Hebrews chapter 1, the Bible says, But unto the Son He saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, a scepter of righteousness, is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, listen, therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. So Christ there, Hebrews 1, in that passage that we just quoted, is anointed above others. But we are anointed too. It says, The Father giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Holy Spirit's anointing is what we're talking about. And this verse says, Touch not mine anointed, which was basically Christ, and the prophets of God, and do my prophets no harm. The kings were anointed of old. But we know Jesus was anointed above all kings and all prophets and all priests. And yet God has given you and I a special place that we're classified as His holy priesthood, who are also classified as the anointed of God. So that means that God will take care of all of us. That means that God says, don't touch my children. He says, leave my children alone. God says, they're mine. They belong to me. Remember old Saul of Tarsus? He was going about persecuting the Christians. Any that he found in that way, that way was spoken of as a Christian way. And the Bible says that as he went about persecuting and imprisoning and doing all the harm that he did, that he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. A light shined from heaven brighter than the noonday sun. Paul was smitten with blindness. And he cried out and he said, uh, Jesus cried out to him and said, uh, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to uh, kick against the pricks. So, when, it, when Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He says, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. 
Well, Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus personally, but he was persecuting all those that belonged to Jesus. Right? And Jesus took it as a personal offense. So he takes care of his own, doesn't he? He takes care of us. And you know, when someone lifts up a hand against you as a child of God, and if you're in the will of God and trying to serve God, and they do it for Christ's sake, there's more harm going to come to them than you. God's going to take care of you. You say, oh, well, there have been martyrs. Yes, there's a lot of things we don't understand. But there's also been vindication for God's children. You have to understand that sometimes God permits martyrdom too. He did in the days of the apostles. James was killed by the sword. And that incident I referred to in Acts chapter 12, Peter was in prison and they intended to do him the same way. But the Lord intervened and and Peter escaped, didn't he? Because God had another purpose for Peter to carry on and do other things. They tried to kill John, boil him in oil, a vat of oil, and he escaped that terrible a persecution ended up on the Isle of Patmos. They finally banished him to the Isle of Patmos. And there we have the book of Revelation given to us. Think of what it would have been had God permitted his martyrdom at that time. We wouldn't have had the book of Revelation unless he chose some other means or way to give it to us. But he had a purpose for John and he says, John, you're not going to die in this persecution. I'm going to see you through it. And he, he was the enemies and the and the persecutors banished him to the Isle of Patmos. And there we have the book of Revelation. And so we never know what's going to happen. But we do know this, that God's in charge of it. And he'll take care of it. Saying, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. Where were we? Verse uh, 16 now. Moreover, he called for a famine upon the land. He broke the whole staff of bread. God has a purpose sometimes even in famines. You know, we're always praying that everything will be different than it is. God has a purpose. By the way, He has a purpose when we have snow and when we do not have snow. He has a purpose in it. Now, we'd like to have it, wouldn't we? For the good of the community. Well, God says, I'll send it in due time. By the way, they're having a little get-together tonight down there at the Museum of the Horse out there on the grounds, sacrificing to a snow god. I don't think that's going to do any good. And when God's already promised it, by the way, the weatherman said we'd probably get some of it Sunday. I wonder if they're going to claim that they got it because they met to the other night when it was announced before they met. But anyway, God will give it in due time, and it's Him that gives it. And you know, that's, uh, you worship a snow god and, and a Nordic, a Nordic a ski god, and you claim that the mythological god has sent some, something that only God Almighty can do. That's idolatry like the children of Israel. That's what it amounts to. You know, back in, in the days of Moses, uh, when uh, Aaron made the golden calf, they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, that brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. They said, This is what brought thee uh, our deliverance from Egypt. This, this golden calf. This golden calf that was made. And that's exactly what they attributed. They said, These be thy gods, O Israel, that brought thee up out of, out of Egypt. When it was God Almighty that brought them up with a high hand and by redemption, by blood, and by power, and they had so soon forgotten and they had worshipped idols. I wonder how many of those people that profess to be Christians that go to that kind of stuff. Well, if they do, they're committing the same thing in a smaller measure, but in the same, same principle as people that worship the golden calf. 
You say, preacher, that's going too far. You check it out. You check it out and see. Idolatry is idolatry. I don't care where you find it. You worship the sun or moon or the stars, it's still the same thing. God made them. He didn't put them there to be worshipped. He put them there in the heavens to do what He told them to do. The greater uh, light to give uh, to light the day and the lesser one to give light by night. So, He called for a famine upon the land. Look at that. He broke the whole staff of bread. He, that is God, He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant. He, God, sent this man. He knew that the children of Israel were going to need someone to go and provide for them. What did he do? He sent Joseph. He used a famine to get his people down to move down into Egypt, and he sent Joseph down into Egypt to prepare for their coming down there. Isn't that amazing? God says, all right, I want my children down in Egypt for a while. They're going to have to suffer bondage for 400 years. And he told Abraham that long before it ever happened. He says, they'll suffer down there. And he says, in the fourth generation, I'll bring them out. By the way, that does away with this business of counting 40 years for a generation, too. You know, a lot of things studied in the Bible, you can really turn some of this false doctrine upside down. Because they claim that 40 years is a generation. Well, who said that? God said, in the fourth generation, they'll come out. And he said, 400 years. Go back and figure that one out. But anyway, get back to this thought. He sent them down there. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant. He was sold by his brethren, wasn't he? Whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron. Remember, they imprisoned Joseph. Until the time that his word came, God's word, the word of the Lord tried him. His, his faith was tested there. Can you imagine old Joseph, that son, favorite son of Jacob, had the coat of many colors as his brethren had killed a goat and dipped in, in blood, took it back to, to Jacob and said, he says, surely Joseph is dead. But they sold him into slavery. They throwed him in a pit. And then when the merchantmen came in back, came by the Ishmaelites, Midianites, and he sold him into slavery. And then what happened? They took this coat that's dipped in blood back to Jacob and then told him, yeah, you know, Joseph's gone. By the way, you know what? In spite of the fact that it was a false report, Je- Jacob accepted without a doubt the evidence of blood. He says, Joseph, without a doubt, is written in pieces. In this case, he was the same as resurrected from the dead because he, he escaped the death that they had planned for him. And he escaped the... Uh, every, they had planned to kill him. Remember, they said, let us kill him. And he was begged not to, so he escaped that death. So he was the same as Joseph resurrected when he was down in uh, Egypt to prepare for them. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron until the time that his word came. Look at verse 19. The word of the Lord tried him. That means uh, Joseph's faith was... Being tested, wasn't it? Can you imagine old Joseph there being in prison for no fault of his own when the time came that he was accused falsely and thrown in the prison? But the Bible says that everything that Joseph did in that prison, that the Lord made him to prosper. It doesn't make any difference where you are. Someone says, well, you know, things are so bad for me, God can make you prosper wherever you are. 
and in whatever trials or circumstances. Have you ever gone through great trials and figured at the same time that God was prospering your way? And He is. It's hard for us to see it at the time. But God is using you. He was using Joseph. He was preparing Joseph through his trials and sufferings to be the man that he needed to be to undergo those trials so that when he was made ruler over all the land that he could with authority speak concerning the poor and know when the poor needed fed, he could feed them. And when they came for that corn that was laid up in Egypt after the years of of plenty and he had laid it up for the time of famine, he knew how to dispense it wisely. You see, God does prepare. Remember old Moses, he was in the... He, he came to the children of Israel and he thought he would deliver them later. We'll get probably in this passage, this chapter or the next. I know the next chapter is full of it concerning Moses and the, God dealing with the children of Israel. But remember Moses, he came to his brethren when they were... Uh, first of all, an Egyptian fought with one of them. And he slew the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And finally the next day his brethren were fighting with one another. And uh, he tried to separate them, and they said, Well, who made you a ruler or a judge over us? They wouldn't even be parted, brothers fighting with each other. So Moses, they said, Well, will you kill us, one of us, as you did that Egyptian yesterday? So Moses fled to the backside of the desert, and God educated him for 40 years in the seminary. And he came out of that wilderness seminary, and he was ready to preach then. And the Lord appeared to him in the burning bush, and he said, Moses... You were a little ahead of time. Of course, the burning bush was before that when God chose him. But the thing about it is, what I want you to see is that God has a way of preparing his children for that call that he's given them. He had the call previous. But he thought it was time to begin to do what God wanted him to do when he did all this. And God says, no, you need some training yet. So Moses was 40 years of age at that time. And he spent another 40 years in the backside of the desert. And then he spent the next 40 years delivering the children of Israel until his death. He died at the age of 120. But God sent Joseph down there. Can you imagine how Joseph felt when all this was going on? Until the verse, verse 19, until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. His faith was being severely tested. The king sent and loosed him, even the ruler of the people, and let him go free. God finally delivered him. You see, we get anxious for God to do something, and Joseph just kept on working while he's in prison. We get so over-anxious and think that the Lord will never do it, but He's going to do it in His own time and in the proper time and in the best way for us and for, for His glory. And He delivered him out of that prison. He made him Lord of His house and ruler of all His substance. This king sent loosed him and made him lord of all his house and ruler of all his substance, his possessions. He was exalted after the imprisonment, exaltation. By the way, all of this is a picture of Jesus too, who went down the doors of death for us, suffered despair and humiliation. And all of this humiliation of Joseph is a picture of Christ's humiliation. And then after that, he was exalted. It says that, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. In the book of Philippians chapter 2 it says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now listen. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Look at Joseph here. And was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself 
and he became obedient unto death. Listen carefully. Even the death of the cross. You have all that is downward, isn't it? Humiliation. And then it says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Joseph pictures Christ in his humiliation and also Christ in his exaltation as the king made him ruler Lord over his house, made him Lord uh, of his house and ruler of all its substance. To bind his princes at his pleasure, verse 22, and teach his senators wisdom. Well, we need somebody like that now, don't we? And teach his senators wisdom. Israel also came into Egypt, and Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. That's the land of Egypt. And this was by Joseph's order that he came. Israel came to Egypt. How did, how did Israel get into Egypt? Remember all the circumstances, all the trials, and all the things that took place? You know, when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he says, there's bread down there. He sent his sons down there to buy corn. They went down and they bought corn and they came back and all the little details of the trip down there and Simeon was held down there till Benjamin, you know, Joseph wanted to see Benjamin, the youngest of the, all the sons. And uh, so he used this to keep Simeon down there and he says, if you come back for corn, you better bring Benjamin or you won't get any corn. So old Jacob, you know, they ate that corn up. Everything is all right. They had bread for a good while. And finally the, bre the brothers had told old Jacob, he says, now if we don't take Benjamin back, the man said he wouldn't sell us any more corn. And so uh, finally the brother said, the corn's gone. He says, we got to go down. Jacob, he says, go down there and buy some corn. And the brother says, now we told you. Jacob, we told you. Father, we told you that if, if, we, didn't take, uh, if we didn't take Benjamin back, the man said, verily said he would not sell us any more corn. And old Jacob, he cried out and he says, now listen, he says, Joseph is not, he thought Joseph was dead, which was not true. And he says, Simeon is not, and that was not true. And he says, you will take Benjamin away also. You're going to take Benjamin away. He says, you're going to bring my gray hair with sorrow down to the grave. He says, all these things are against me. Show you how wrong we can be when God's doing these things. Everything that was done was for him, and none of it was against him. Joseph was still alive. Israel was going to come down by the command of Joseph into a land filled with corn and plenty, and throughout the famine would be sustained, and Simeon was going to be released, and Benjamin was well off. In fact, Joseph gave them a great welcome when they came down there. And all of these imaginations of Jacob were wrong. You know how many times we think the wrong thing's happening to us? We say, oh, that's so bad. I remember when I resigned my church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I had asthma so bad that I drove all the way from Mount Pleasant, stayed one night in Fort Worth and liked to die there, came on from Fort Worth to Rio Dosa. This is where I was coming. Nearly a dead man to start a church. Showed what God can do. Got down there to some little old town, I think it's Anson or somewhere down there in this little motel. I was just coughing, my 
insides out. I told Louise, I said, we've got to stop. We had the babies with us. Darlene was just a baby. Daryl was a little boy, three or four or five years old. Darlene was probably a year or two. Drove in there and rented a motel. And I tried to breathe there. In a few minutes, I, I bet we wasn't there 15 minutes, I told her, I says, you know, I'm going to die right here if we don't go. Loaded up everything. We hadn't even got it hardly unloaded. I got in the car, headed for Rio Dosa, and those people thought that when we left that we might have been some kind of drug dealers or something because they thought these people were in the motel and they stayed there 15 minutes. We never didn't even close the door. We are just going in hot summertime, and I don't think they had any air conditioning there in those days. That's in 58. And anyway, we loaded up and came on to Rio Dosa. I drove in to the hospital. They met me at the door with a wheelchair. And before I even was given a room, they gave me two or three shots that I don't know what was. But one doctor saw me at the door there. I called. And Dr. Vanderstock. Anyway, he gave me this this shot and kind of relieved me. Probably adrenaline. That's what I've been taking to kind of get my breath. And they put me in a room. And in a week's time, I was breathing freely. And I haven't had asthma since. I thank the Lord for it. Two weeks later, I was borrowing money to build a house. And at the same time, rented an old building up in the middle of Rio Dosa to remodel it for a church. That was in October of 58. By Christmas time, I had that little house we live in. Been added on several times, but had that little house where we could live in it by Christmas. Built it with all my tools down in Mount Pleasant, Texas. Borrowed the tools, a hammer and a saw from people here, table saw. Got that house built practically by myself. And I'd made a loan over at Almagorda, farm and home over there. I'd, uh, they told me, says, we're not loaning any money up there. You got time for this? said, we're not loaning any money, money in Rio Dosa. And I said, well, let, just, just let me fill out my application. Well, it won't do you any good. And I said, okay, let me fill it out anyway. I filled it out, and about a week later, they called me and said, you got your loan. <laughs> See, the Lord can do wonderful things. So I got that house built, and then by February the 1st, we were in had our first service in an old building. And I was finishing that and remodeling an old building uptown, and brother, it needed some, too, to get in there to, to have the first service. February the 1st, Sunday of February 1959. But I'm saying... That sometimes we don't understand what God is doing. We think it's all over and when it's just beginning. And uh, so the Lord can do wonderful things for us. I wonder what Joseph felt. We'll have to pick up here uh, in verse 23 and 24. We'll pick up about there in our next lesson. Well, we thank you for...